Faltegrian Podkrela Korale Tomas. A kind sport led Dina Sport Tool. A goal led Benetti. I remember saying to him, this is some trip, Sean Murray. This is unbelievable. He says, he says it's not a trip, Muggsy, it's, it's a tour. And I was like, no, but you know what I mean? He says, no, I don't. Proud there again, DNG. Hold there again, DNG. Dalsing Cabana. Yeah, to 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 LNG anyway, Larry and Galvin anyway. That's the that's the brand name anyway. Hello, you're very welcome, Tomas O'Shea and Shot, and you're well, very welcome to another episode of Coral at Tomas. We're we're on episode six, fitting enough for one of the best centre backs that ever played the game. We're on episode number six, and I'm delighted to have Keith Barr with us. We're on our second last episode. Uh, we're finishing up on episode seven. We're taking a break, so I'm delighted to have. Keith Barr, Dublin legend with me. Keith, you're very welcome. How are you getting on? Great, Tomas. Thanks very much for your invite. I'm just very disappointed it took six programmes for you to get me on your show. <laughs> so I know where I am on your list. <laughs> oh, stop but, it, but, 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 but it's like everything else, Tomas. Better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be very careful in this game, Keith, who you who you actually invite and who you insult and who... You know, I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have a dub. I said I wanted to have the dubs because the dubs are the good crack. Uh, they're at the top of the hill at the moment. But uh, your own story, geez, I was only thinking about it yesterday, Keith, when I was growing up. Right? Yeah. I would say my two favourite half back lines of all time was Moynihan, Flaherty, and Breen, and your mm. uh, Kern, yourself, and Theory. And I was saying, Here I was actually that. the way I was picturing it in my own head. There was a mixture of everything in it. Like every single one of you were able to play football, but you could mix it. And I was just wondering, and I had no doubt about it, you'd last in the modern game, no problem at all. That those two half back lines. Oh look, without any doubt. And I I played with Paul Corey and Eamon Harry and uh, and you're a half back yourself and it's probably one of the best positions to moss in, 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 in the game of Gaelic football. You can be a defender, you can be a midfielder, you can be a you know a half forward, a full forward if your event was enough, the whole lot. So to play half back is you know is absolutely brilliant. And look at the play alongside the likes of Paul Curran and Eamon here. And there was other players like Nick Deegan and Tommy Carr also fulfilled those roles. But they were they were special. And playing, you know, playing like at, at, at a half back, you know, be able to attack the ball, to be able to attack your opponent. Like as we as we always say, the, the best best form of defense is is attack, you know. And in those and in, in those days it was you know, I know today Today's game is played differently. I mean, they're superbly fit. They're wonderful players. The games are exciting at times, the whole lot. But air, game, air games are just as good. They were different. They were played in different circumstances, you know, but the crowds thoroughly enjoyed them. And not only were you going to see like Dublin or Mead or Dublin or Kerry or Cork, Donegal, Derry or Down, you're also going to see individual battles. So when supporters were going to see these matches, they're going in to see, geez, I'm going to see Harry and Beggy and, you know, Barr and O'Rourke or, you know, Mickey Linden or Paul Curran, you know, they, they were fascinating duels, the whole lot, yeah. you know. So look at, as I always, as I always say to, you know, when we're coaching children, the whole lot, if forwards had balls, they would be defenders. You know what I mean? So that, so that's, that's a nice that's, way to put it. Yeah, that's we we just didn't have the skill to be forwards. You know what I mean? So our <laughs> managers, we weren't bad enough defenders to put us in the full back line. So we were always put, we were always pushed out a bit. Oh Jesus! I was you're on about coaching there, Keith, and I was I always wonder. There's an awful lot of talk, and it's all over the country. The amount of coaching that's going on is brilliant. Every single club in the country, no matter what, and they'll always talk, Dublin is the capital and all that. What was it like as a young fella growing up, uh, the underage system and the amount of help? Was it much different? Than it? it probably had to be much different than it was now because was football the number one sport in the capital when you were growing up as a young fella? Oh, well, where, where I came from, it definitely was. I, I came from Finglas and uh, born and bred in Finglas and uh, played for the great clubs directly across the road, Erden's Isle. And like most most uh, GA clubs, we had our school teachers. The club was peppered with school teachers, peppered with civil servants, 
you know, good people. Like, you know, Fingless at times was a deprived area, uh, but a big population. But the guys that ran Ayrton's Oil GEA Club were f- fantastic. And, you know, when I was growing up as a juvenile footballer in Ayrton's Oil, you know, our heroes was like PJ Buckley, who would have played in the 83 All-Ireland Final against, against Galway. I would have been, I was born in 68, you know what I mean? So I was going around that 12, 13, 14, 15 mark. The whole but coaching, you know, funny that it, it, what's happening today compared to airtime, there wasn't you weren't overcoached. You were allowed to express yourself. Go out there. We were we were seen, especially in Finglas, we were seen as street footballers. You know, you ran to school. We were like Forrest Gump going to school. You get up in the morning, you grabbed your bag of Tezo and your, your rotten cheese sandwich that your mother made four days ago, and you used to run to school. And then you'd run home, like you were a bit of a forest gum. And then you get out the old plastic football and you, you know, you throw your bags on the field, like the corporation field. And there was no mobile phones. Yeah, right, lads, everybody on the field at half three, first to 21. And you'd be walking, you'd be in your school uniform and you'd be playing first to 21. And if you weren't going well, you'd say first to 31. And you, you wouldn't be walking. You, you wouldn't be walking off the streets until you were about nine o'clock that night, you know. But your parents weren't looking for you at the time, like you know. So we were street footballers. You learned all your trade on the street. You learned all your skills on the street, and you learned your toughness on the street. And that was air coaching. And we went over to the club, and there was organisations over there, and they put a bit of structures to us. But at no stage, at no stage, where we overcoach, you were actually allowed to express yourself, and that's one of my pet hates today. I think I think there's a lot of a lot of overcoaching going on, and they're taking a lot away from the young young players of today because coaches, you know, going out to coach. 8, 10, 12, 13, 14 year olds. So the young people haven't experienced, you know, what's available to them. And the coaches should sit back and allow them to express themselves. And you 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 you, you wouldn't wonder what you would find. You you'd find an awful a a great lot of footballers, you know. Whereas coaching them, you're giving them too much structures, uh, party. And plus, you know, they're sanitized. They don't give you cheek back anymore. We gave our managers in Erden's Isle an awful time, but they loved it. <laughs> Did you enjoy? You had a fierce, successful time, Keith, in Erden's Isle. You had great days there. Like you went to, you went to a club final, didn't you? It was a Galway crew. Yeah, I think Cora. I think it could have been if Cora I'm Cora Finn, yeah, could have been their first ever All Ireland title. No, I may be wrong yeah. with that, and I think it was '97, '98 around that time. Um, but the Dublin, yeah. the Dublin Championship, Keith was always. Even now, I look at it and I, I've been watching the Kerry County Championship closely, and I've been watching the Cork County Championship closely. Mm. Jesus, the Dublin County Championship. There's something about it. Like it's a tough County Championship to win, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, the quality of club structure in Dublin at the moment is very good. But going back to airtime, you know, when we were playing. Championship matches happened in the summer. A lot of the county championships now in in Dublin over the last previous years or 15, 20 years, you know, they're now gone into September, October, November, you know. When we were playing with Dublin, we still played our championship during during the summer. When we played a number of county finals in in July with Erden's Isle, you know, July and August. Because remember in those days, it was knockouts, you know. If you lost your first championship match in Leinster, there was no door so you know yeah. and even and even if you were progressing through Lancer you were still expected to line out for your club you were still expected to play your championship in in the months of May June and July so you know things have changed so you know when we were playing that time you know it was there was a lot of competitive because you were playing against a lot of your own fellow county players who were actually in the middle of their own inter-county career and their own clubs, and everybody was fairly fit and fairly fit and eager to go on with it, you know? 
Yeah, there was. Um, I was told to ask you about a famous uh, club game, and you probably know well who, who asked me to ask you. A, a club game with Lucan. Like you, you were like myself, Keith, a lot of the time. You say close to the wind at times, and I suppose at club level it was no different. And was there was there some incident against Lucan years ago? <laughs> that's the bell. That's the bell you Harrigan in the boar's head, I bet you. Am I right? <laughs> you I know by your white, I know by your white teeth, oh lad. But that was an incident. But look at it's it's like you know, these may people look at them whether they're funny or not, but it's the instance of you're involved in sports, you know. We were playing Luke and Sarsfields. I think it could have been the quarter final of the championship out in Fingallians, you know. And I was I was with midfield with my brother Johnny, you know. So the ball was ball was kicked out and Johnny won the ball and he was going through, but he was met he was met by uh, uh, Luke and midfielder, you know, who buried him, you know, the whole lot. And I went over to your man and said, Jesus Christ, you dorky bastard. I says, you have to lay now the brother, you know, the whole lot. And your man says to me, I done one bar, I'll do another, you know. I said, look at I said, that was like a red rag to a ball to Moss, the whole lot. That's the so kind I'm of talk like, you'd hear in a nightclub, Keith. Yes, exactly. But anyway, <laughs> the inexperienced midfielder from Luke, and the only problem was that I noticed was that he had his, when he threatened to do me, but he had his two hands on the ball. The whole lot. So I noticed that. So I, I pretend to walk away, but I really lined him up and I turned around and laid him out. All right, laid him <laughs> out. So the referee came over. In those days, I don't know if there was yellow or red cards or black cards, you know. So the referee rolled over. So I knew I was gone to the line. So I said, look, fuck this ref or whatever. My apologies for cursing the whole lot. So <laughs> I, I, I started to walk off as he's writing me name in the book, the whole lot. So Ernst Oil are green and black, and Luke and were green and black, you know, the whole lot. And off I went, and Jesus, this is fuck this anyway, and went over and set in the dugout, the whole lot. So that, 10 or 15 seconds later, I only, I realised, oh, sorry there, I lost, sorry You're I wrong. lost it there, my apologies. 10 or 15 seconds later, I realised I was in the wrong dugout, so I was in the middle of the Luke and subs, the whole lot. <laughs> So I had to batter my way out of that place to get back over to the far sideline. <laughs> it was great crack. Oh, Jesus. Can you remember, Keith, the first time you got a call up to Dublin? Was Dublin, was that a huge, big deal for you? Like, were you growing up kind of, uh, I suppose, dreaming to be a dub, dreaming to be a player, but dreaming to be playing in front of the hill? Was that, was that the, 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 the whole thing with football for you? Did you dream oh, yes, big that? Yeah, yeah. I would have played Dublin under 14. Uh, they used to have Leinster Leagues. I would have played Dublin Minor. So my wish was always to play for Dublin. You know, you always have that in you, the whole lot. But I went to America in 86. And we played, I played Dublin Minor in 85, 86, and went to America in 87 and came back in 88. So I had about two years in Boston. And actually, when Jerry McCall was the manager of Dublin, the Dublin team yeah. came over to Boston for a tour. And they played against Air Club, Column Kills in Boston. And when I was out there, we played against, and I would have known a lot of the lads that were over. So there was a great session there for about a week, the whole and played a, played, a, played a match or two against them. And Jerry McCall invited me back. So I came home in December 88. And I joined, I joined the team in 80, December 88, January 89, and I never looked back. And I had approximately 12, 13 years of a great career, most enjoyable career of, for playing and representing Dublin because it was fun. That's what yeah. that's what we had. We trained really hard. We we trained hard. We were, you know, like most teams, you'd be focused and getting yourself ready the whole lot. But key to it, we had crack and fun along the way. You know, you and had I some really... talent, Keith. You had a yeah, talented look, team, like you had a very good team. Yeah, there was great players there. So I look, I played with the likes of you, I mean, you, you consider Jerry Harg and John O'Leary, Kieran Duff, Barney Rock, Charlie Redmond, Desi Farrell, mm. Paul Clark, Mick Kennedy, Eamon Heary. The list goes on, like, you know, yeah. the whole lot. And, I mean, Dublin have a great choice, as you know. The population is there, you know. So, you, you know, and when you get your position, you know, when you get your position and you're handed to Jersey, you make sure you bloody keep it because yeah. there's a line, there's a queue behind it, the whole lot. So I, I was lucky. I was lucky to get my 
chance off Jerry McCall and I acknowledge and, and thank him for that. And I was very happy we played under some great managers over those 10, 12, 13 years that I played. Paddy Cullen, Pat O'Neill's, the Tommy Cars. It was it was fantastic. And we and we had the ball doing it. And we had success. And we had and we had losses, and and that's yeah. and that's sport. Like I was speaking to, I know you rang him over the the pandemic, COVID nineteen. A great friend of our, Silver Dunning in in Blanchestown yeah. from Bridget's GA Club. You know, <laughs> he he rang me to say Tomas is after ringing me. He says the two greatest halfbacks, Baron and O'Shea, rang me, and I thought I told Silver he's originally from Roscommon. I says to him, yeah. look at Silver, I have more medals than than Tomas. He says, go away, do you? I said, I do, but they're all silver. The preparation, Keith, you'd have a good insight. And everybody would have a good insight, really, into the there's so much talk about it. The preparation that goes in, the inter-county teams on, the amount of time they spend at it and everything like that. Back in your day, when did the season yeah. start? How much training? What kind of training? How often did you train? Uh, like because Jerry McCall is a guy that I'd say uh, I didn't up until I wouldn't have known he's not a name that you would actually associate with Dublin in terms I know he's a, the manager there and everything but he yeah. isn't a name that jumps out at me as, as a former Dublin manager I wouldn't have known of him or much yeah. of him myself yeah. but what was it like back then Keith in terms of preparation alone uh, well, preparation alone, we 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 doing as any is what's happening. What's happening today? You know, you got to remember in 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 those days, going back to 87, 88, 89, and and so on. The national league, Tomas, was played before Christmas. You had three national league matches. You know, so you 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 finish. You know, if you got to a Leinster semi final or final and won that, you progress to an All Ireland semi final, and then hopefully an All Ireland final. But if you didn't, most of your seasons would have been around July, August. If you got to the final, great. But you, if you won an All Ireland final in September or, or got to it, you were resuming a National League game. I think by the end of October, so you had a National yeah. League game in October, November, and December, and those three matches were there. And then you had four league matches after after Christmas. So it was nearly a twelve month calendar. So you yeah. were always reasonably fit. Now, where where in that twelve months, Tomas, would you be your downtime? You know, realistically, your downtime was that October, November, December, because you could afford to lose a few games. Even I think we won a National League game, a National League title one year where we lost three matches before Christmas, won the four after Christmas, got to the league final and won it. You know, so they were the things to have it, you know. So you were, you were using those matches pre-December, pre, uh, pre those. There were your down times. Now, you were going around the place. We'd go down to Limerick, ask Keith and play them. We'd be across to Galway or up to Derry. And the crack we had, you'd be going on trains or a coach, you know. So you, you had those then times. But coming... Coming from, from an inter-county perspective, we always tried to get as much out of the league, especially when it came February, March and April, because Dublin always forced, in their, in their day, the first rounds of the championship were always bank holiday June, you know. Yeah. So that was your target. That was your target. You always knew that the ground would be getting faster, you you know, the weather was getting drier, the whole lot. So really from the end of February, you took it among, upon yourself, you know, within a structure of a team to, right, that's my target. I know where I, I, I got to be. Um, because in their day, if you, if you were named on the first 15 at the start of June, you know, and you were being successful, you know, most managers wouldn't necessarily change their team. You know, yeah. so your key was to be on the first starting 15, the first championship match in June. So you got to be really smart. Come, you know, you're using, you're using March, April and May to really get yourself in shape. And yeah. and that's what you were, and we worked no more than Mikko would have done at the time. I mean, the scientific approach to things, Tomas, wasn't necessarily out there. Where we flogged, yes, you were. Mm -hmm. Did we do these miles and lap, laps? Yes, we did. But you know what? It made us hard. It made us look at ourselves. Because when you were flogged 
And I'm not saying it was good, bad, or indifferent. But when you're flogged, you can find an inner strength in yourself. When you yeah. have to go that extra five, ten bloody yards, when you're asked mm. to go through that, you know, that wall, you know, and stand up. So, you know, I, I, I felt in airtime, I felt in airtime, a lot, a lot of the players were leaders. You were asked to be a leader. You didn't necessarily have to be appointed a captain to lead. You were asked to lead, and and you you, shoot, you you were shown that, and you proved that mainly on the field, mainly on the training pitch, and you bring that, you know, because you know today in modern football, managers have a backroom team of 15, 20 guys doing stats, this and the other. In their day, the managers trusted you. Yeah. They, they obviously they respect you. They ask you to do a role. They trust you, and you, you had to go out and deliver that. And that, and that's what you do. That's your, that's that's why you're picked. You, you deliver. You perform. If not, you're moved on. And you know yeah. a lot of managers were who just sat on the sideline and relaxed. Whereas today they're being fed. IT data information, the whole lot through their ears. So you know things are different. Mikko would always said what you just said there, that you'd find out about, about a guy. You'd find out more about a guy and the way he is and how mentally tough he is with the way he trains and the way you can push him mm. to a limit. And I think that's yes. what they do. That's, a, that's the kind of stuff they have in an army as well. Like, and I'm not saying that. I'm not comparing it to an army. But I, the, the modern-day player, Keith, right, it's not their fault. It's just the way it's gone. And it's the way, I don't know, it's like a train. You can pull it back, right? But yeah. do you think, and they're never going to say, they're not going to say that they don't enjoy it, right? Because they probably do enjoy it, okay? I think yes. the most successful teams actually enjoy it more. The dubs, I see, they do have a yeah. fair bit of enjoyment. But yes. do you think that the inter-county season is too long, too kind of, and, and by long automatically means they're working too hard for the full season because they're also club players and they're actually, like, they don't get a break. They don't get a break. They don't get that downtime where you and I had. And even when I was there starting out, uh, I knew I had to be right in May. Munster Championship started yeah. in May. That was it. Be right for that. Yeah. So you'd start serious training in February, March. So yeah. But the, do you think the, the inter county player now is, it's just too long a season for them? Oh, look, at, there's a number of points you're at the raising there, Tomas. Without, without any doubt, the, the, the inter county championship season is too long for a number of reasons. First of all, Play, managers have no squads of 30 players within a squad, yet they continuously complain if they have to play three matches on three consecutive weekends. Now, with all the modern signs and the modern, you know, approaches that managers bring and the backroom teams that they bring to their squads, you know, these guys are physically fit. And I think they do too much training. And most players, if they really look inside themselves who are footballers, they want to play matches. But yet when they're asked to play three consecutive games and three consecutive weekends, there's a big hula balula over it. I mean, I asked the question, well, what the hell are you training for? This is, this is what you are. You know, why do you have a big squad, you know? use them but they don't you know i just think i just think it's drawn out i would have more matches on a more regular basis the whole lot and it's even happening at club level today where a club club championship tomas you're asked to play a match on a saturday the following wednesday the following sunday and club players don't get a break but yet when it comes to the inter-county player they're given all these protocols where they get time to recover recover from what an inter-county match jesus christ come on let's get on with it. when i when i when Sorry, go well, ahead. Did you, do you think that the, the pandemic now, the way it's everything is, has forced itself and the way the championship has forced itself to be played from October, November, December, and to be all squashed in, do you think that will lead? Do you think that would be a stepping stone to them actually changing the structure of the championship and giving the club window a wider berth? Yeah, look, at I don't think, I, I, I think the club structure and the inter-county structure shouldn't be one against the other. One should complement the other the whole lot. But it should not take a, a, a county like Dublin or Kerry or Mayo, who, whoever it may be, six months to play four to seven matches, wherever that may. It should not take that long. Yeah. All right? Having breaks of three, two to three to four weeks a month between games is absolutely crazy. It is a, a waste of, of resources. 
it's a race of players, you know, energies, the whole lot. And I just don't understand if you have a big squad, why why are county managers more encouraged to use these players? You have a squad, yeah. that's what you have. By the way, uh, Dublin, you're playing this Saturday, but you're out the following Sunday, and you know you're playing you're playing up in Tyrone, and 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 get on with it. That's why you have a yeah. squad. That's why you're allowed seven subs. In our day, we didn't have the squad. You were allowed three subs. Three subs yeah. to play. Three that subs. was it. And, and you know, and you, and you had to get on with it. And the managers didn't have options on the sideline. You know, they didn't, they didn't have big squads in a sense. You were only allowed to bring 21 players, I think, to match day. You're only allowed three subs at, at different times. I know it increased to five, but and that's all you and that's all you are allowed. So you know things have changed. It's not about us or them the whole lot. But I think we we, we can do things better in in the GA. Yeah. I have to say we're we're very good, very well served by our administrators, in fairness to them. You know, the hearts are in the right place. You know, they're probably the unsung heroes of our associations across all clubs. Being an administrator in the GA is not easy because you have to find the right balance. And I think in general, in fairness to them, our administrators have, have done a good job. You know, can we question a few things? Of course we can. But I hope there's a good balance because at the end of the day, what is it all about, Tomas? We are still amateurs. And if we lose yeah. that focus, if we lose that focus, are we losing something special? You know what I mean? And, you know, what's that to me? I trained as hard as anybody else. I played as hard as anybody else. I travelled the length and breadth of this country. I played against great players and great counties. But we had fun. We enjoyed ourselves mm. along the way. And, you know, there's a time, you know, I, I spoke earlier about sanitising the match, you know. We used to, like, come to All-Ireland final days or Leinster final days, as you know, Munster final days are as big as an All-Ireland final day. I mean, we'd be looking forward to playing Mead or Kildare. You, you constantly probably had, you know, Cork down there. And that was probably Kerry's start of the championship. You know, you'd play Waterford yeah. or Clare. And you'd be pitching yourself. You knew... Come the end of June, first week in, in July, that's when the Munster final was on. And you knew that's where you got to pitch yourself the whole lot, yeah. you know. Jesus, every year, Keith, did you just have to worry about meat or was it others in Leinster? Like, was meat the big one? Because, like, you look at 2000 and, or 1991 and what happened to the four Saga games. Like, they yeah. were one of yeah. them. Like, I remember them when I was growing up. They were a tough, hard, physical team, like. Jesus Christ, you look at Lyon, oh, Harn and Lyon, Harn, oh yeah, oh. Hayes, yeah. They look at that. That was a superb Mead side, and not only were they superb footballers, but they also, you know, they were battle hardened group of guys. You know, yeah. the, you know, the 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 one back to back All Irelands in 88, 80, 87, 88 defeats to Cork. You know, in you know, yeah. we bet we bet Mead in '89 in the Leinster final when they were, you know, all Ireland holders. Cork betting the following year, you know. So Mead, Mead, not only were they a very good team, but they were battle hardened players. And as you said yourself, the lines is the Harnings, you know, great footballers like you know Robbie yeah. O'Malley, Martin O'Connell, you know, little Flinner up in the corner there, <laughs> Jinxy Brady, you know. You know, and there were brilliant games to be involved, you know, and you weren't allowed to have the ball in your hand too bloody, too long, because you were just nailed. It was physical. And Leinster final, a Leinster final or Dublin playing in need in any provincial match, they were huge. I mean, there was 40, 50, 60,000 people at it, you know, and... There was very few neutrals. It was all me. It was all Dublin. And they yeah. came to see the Warriors play, you know. And uh, we ripped into one another and every player enjoyed it. And there wasn't any complaints one way or the other. And we literally battered one another. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we picked ourselves up and got on with it. And it, it were fantastic games. And people loved that. They loved it. Yeah. In 91... Keith and nobody it, it changed everything like there was never a game shown on a Saturday 
by RT and they changed yeah. the draw after draw after draw. After, like after the third after game. After extra say, time. Jesus Christ, extra time. It was absolutely yeah. phenomenal, like, wasn't it? What was it like yeah. being inside in the middle of it? Like you were doing nothing uh, between games, I presume. We were doing nothing, light, light trainings, you know, we had light trainings after each match. We were obviously entitled to our night or two off and we, we regathered. But the matches were coming out as big and strong. Yeah. Remember that 91, Tomas, that was the first round of the Leinster Championship. The first round of the Leinster Championship. And we started that, as I said to you earlier, the first week in, first weekend in June and two weeks into July, we were still at it. You know, and it was it was coming back. See, it was coming on the back of the great Jackie Charlton era, you know, in 88, yeah. you know, the European Championship and then the World Cup in 1990, yeah. which was a brilliant time for the country. And then the Mead and Dublin saga, you know, the GEA bit back, you know, they the, the chewed the arse off the FEI. We came back with four big, four big four in a row matches. It was the biggest <laughs> money spinner for, for the Leinster, the Leinster, you know, council. You know, Mick Delaney went off with a big pension, you know. <laughs> it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic and, and it was great. So it was a great sporting occasion for the country and, and everybody, everybody enjoyed it. And all of a sudden, everybody was tuning in from all over the country. And as you said, it was the first live match, our championship and live match ever to be held on a Saturday in the GEA. And in those four matches, there was so many different, so many different new rules came about, red and yellow cards. You know the now the semicircle around the big box from the famous where Mick Lyons was uh, taking me over when I was taking my penalty in '91. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was going to ask you, Keith. Do you know the like Paddy famously said about about the animals, and he said, you know, I I firmly believe what he was trying to say there was there's people in every county, there's supporters in every county that will cut the living legs off you. Did you find yes. through those tough years, 91, 92, 93, 94, that you were so close? Was that part of it? Like, did you have to put up with, with fellas kind of giving you grief, saying you're not going to get over the line, especially like even after big games like that? Did you have to put up with stuff like that? I, I will genuinely tell you no. Now, maybe because, you know, to a certain extent, if they did say it, they were picking on the wrong man to say, you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I was just going to say it. <laughs> say, yeah. And I don't think here he got it either, any one or two of them. So. They were clapping me so, on the back. Yeah, they were clapping on the backs. Now, they might be talking under their breaths, but we allow that. But, yeah. but genuinely, genuinely, I never came, uh, came across that. And that's one of the greatest experiences of, of all my life playing into county was playing in front of the Dublin supporters because yeah. they are characters and you know they're witty, they're sharp, they're loyal. Of course we're disappointed when you lose. Yeah. They're sharp with their tongue. They'll 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 bring I you down to them. their yeah they, they'll bring you down to their own level. They're wonderful but they, at the same time they have great respect for, for their players and that's the fondest memory I have walking away from the game was the, the great fun and the time and the respect that Dublin supporters have for you. And I remember, see in those days as well, we weren't bust into Crow Park so if you were playing Leinster finals Tomas or all Ireland semi-finals of fun. You had your gear bag thrown over your shoulder and you walked down your, your your wife dropped you off at the top of Jones's Road and you walked down Jones's Road and you're walking down with the supporters. And that was you it. You never like, came you know? in as a team, like you never like, no, drove in no. as, on a bus. No, very rarely because you'd be asked, you know, like you'd have players from different parts of Dublin. Now remember, like you know, we prefer to sleep in our own houses. You know, some players lived 20 minutes from Crow Park, 10 minutes from Crow Park, 40 minutes from Crow Park. You know, it, it wasn't a, 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 an expense issue or a money issue. If you wanted to stay in hotels, I'm sure that would have been available. In fact, it would have been available. The players chose to stay in their own homes on the eve of All-Ireland Finals. 
and that's what we chose and and all our instructions well you meet in Crow Park if the match was at half three you'd be in Crow Park by quarter past one you know and your preparation happened and that's what happened and you'd be walking down Jones's road with the supporters you know yeah. now today now today all of, all the teams are bust in you know so yeah. that's what happens yeah. you know strange was 95 strange time was 95 the 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 peak was that the best of it all that was the, finally getting your hands on that that whole summer i remember it even the semi-final the good weather it was jail the story yeah um it was just fantastic i remember following that closely like because i was a, a big supporter i was only about 15 16 at the time yeah but that was huge so finally get over you had a right good blend that year didn't you Ah, we did. Look at that. At the end of the day, any team like the likes of Donegal and the Bellas in 92, Derry in 93 and Down in 94, they, you know, I don't hold any grudges. The best team wins an All-Ireland final. And that's as simple as that is in my books. You can throw all your excuses out the door when it comes when when it comes to that regarding me. Best teams always win the All-Ireland final. No excuses. In 95, People would often say, we are looking to get across the line. Let me tell you, Tomas, we were the better team on the day. Tyrone, Tyrone got a good start, but at the end of the day, we were the most experienced team on the day. We scored more than them. We were cuter. We brought more experience to the game. And plus, you know, and in fairness to Pat O'Neill and Flan Ryder and Bobby Dyle, great guys, absolutely done, you know, so, sh shouldered fairly very big responsibility with that team over the years and stood right beside us. They took in J.O. and, you know, J.O. was a big plus to us. You know, he's exciting. He was young. Danger. He was fit. Yeah. Danger. He, he, he was handsome. He was different. And, you know, it, you know, I don't care at the end of the day. He was a big difference. And there was another guy directly behind us. And I say, you know, Keith Galvin, a young yeah. lad, eight, 18, 19 years of age, coming into a, a setup, a setup which was obviously, you know, most into county teams, as you know yourself. You know, we all played together for long periods of time. You know, you know the players with egos. Every player has an ego. You know, every player's traits, you know, the different way they carry themselves into an All Ireland final or a big match. And you know yourself, the lead up to a match is, 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 a, is a big issue with most teams, the whole lot. And you know what how well players are going to play. You could tell, I could tell you how well Charlie Redmond was going to play a week in advance. You know, how, how other players, Desi Farland and, and Mick Galvin, whoever was there, they're going to play. So, but the key to it was <laughs> those two young players. They, yeah. they were the difference to us. They were the difference Gigi had to some us. leaders uh keith inside in that dress room like fellas that went on and, and involved in management and you had the likes of uh, gavin and gilroy and desi and paul yeah. Horn and mcdegan and john o'leary yeah. and all that did they Mick all Alvin, play? like yeah. i know they're, galvin they were all involved in management afterwards and, and some of the best managers that, that in the game but were they showing leadership qualities at that stage inside the dress rooms or was it it was it the managers that took it over was it pat o'neill that took everything over or did you all have an input in it like uh, no, look at at the end of the day. At the at the end of the day, the, all the players you, you you described there, you know, and plus the likes of you know Paddy Moran, you know, mm. an, an awesome corner back as as tough as nails. Charlie Redmond. I mean, we're all experienced, I and mean, we brought our experiences to it. And you've been in dressing rooms, you know. Mm. And if anybody gives you you know these ideas that they're all rosy, they actually don't understand inter-county football or you know high level sports i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of trashing going on you know yeah. you come in at half time you know the manager is laying out rules players speak to one another even to build up to a match you know play a lot of players take the lead you know because mm. we, when you cross the white white line moss you know it's it's the players that have to deliver not the managers yeah. The managers prefer, you know, prepare you, and you know, and and you prepare in in, in the in the best way you can. But during the game, you know, you go out and plan A. You're after five five minutes. Plan A is up in the air. You got to go to plan B, C, D, E, and F, and and you make them up as you go along. I mean, yeah. they're not they're not laid out pre pre match. Factually, incidents happen. 
instances, instances happen during the game that you have to change tack. And therefore, getting back to your question, when you say all about the leaders, yeah, we, we made our own decisions on the field. Now, rightly or wrongly, we pay, we, you, you pay the cost of that when you lose big matches. And if you win, they all pay off. So that's what leaders is all about. You don't look to the sideline, to the manager to make the decision. Pat O'Neill and his management team in general allowed us to go out on the field and express ourselves within parameters, within parameters. You're the man on the, on the ball. You make the decision. You know, we trust you in what you're trying to do and what you're trying to, to achieve. But, you know, let's, let's, let's have that within parameters. You know what I mean? But unfortunately, as anybody understands in the counties, that can change. You, you have sending offs in the first five minutes. You, you, you leak goals in the first five minutes or the last five minutes. Uh, players are gone off injured. You're free takers. So incidents all change throughout the match. So you look to your leaders to take it. No more than yourself, your brothers, Mark, Dara, Seamus, Moynihan. You, you know what's required. You didn't look to the sideline to say, oh, manager, what will I do now? You looked for the yeah. ball, and and you delivered. Do you know where I'm coming from there? And yeah, yeah. Uh, you okay, know, and was, there was, was, one. You know, there were spe there were special there were special times, and and, and uh, there was no there was no concrete way of playing the game. And we, you know, sometimes we played it on 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 the cuff, and that and and that's and that's it. And if I and if I felt we were we were losing this game, you know, you know I'm going to push forward. We're going to push yeah. forward and go try win it. Not not sit back and defend us. Would you have Would you have any regrets, Keith, that you were so close that maybe you should have won more? I know even in '96, the year after, and meet meet Beachy, but meet went on and won it again. Do you reckon you could have got another one? Look, at the reality of it, Tomas, I could be sitting here in front of you with one, two, three, four, five All-Irelands. That's the reality of it. But the, re but the reality of what we spoke about earlier was there were quality teams around then. Yeah. All right? There was no back door. So when you played a championship match in Crow Park that time, you had to bring your A game to it because there was no back door. There was no second chance. And plus, you were playing against quality sides, you know. Yeah, you know. In my in my career, I mean, I can I marked Larry Tompkins, Colin O'Rourke. Yeah. All right, yeah. you, you can go. You can go on Mickey Linden, Greg Greg Blaney, Mark McHugh, Padraig Joyce. You know, yeah. it, 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 these are phenomenal in the county in the county forwards. I mean, they. They turn you on twopence. Like th this is the quality of the of uh, of the footballers that were around, and that's just to mention a few. Like you know what I mean? And you know you got one opportunity. There was no there was no back door. So yes, could I be sitting here with you with three four All Ireland funds? Yes, I could. Do I have any regrets? I guarantee you, I don't, because the 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 view looking backwards never changes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So look at regrets. No disappointments when we lose all Ireland's. I'd be a liar to tell you if I didn't. But I was always pretty good at picking myself up and getting on with us. You know the Monday after here, but the Monday after the All Ireland win, lose or draw was always a good day. <laughs> As you I know, was actually, I was I was actually um, somebody WhatsApp me uh, a tackle. By yourself and and Harry on poor old Colm O'Rourke, and Colm O'Rourke was like a poor altar by Jesus. You made some shite of him in, in the tackle, but funny enough, over yeah. the weekend I was coming talking to you tonight, and funny enough, over the weekend I got a a, a message off um, off Eamon Harry that he was down in Dingle and he was calling out to party. That's right, yeah. Drop. And I, I remember the yeah. night that when Party passed away, that the two of ye landed into into Quinn's pub in, in inventory that was a that was a, a fair of a long while ago now but uh, there's fierce respect there isn't there we'd have, was, we had a yeah. bit of crack now that night you know and you you can have laughs over in the past like you have great memories Keith of of yeah. your enjoyment and part of the game haven't you oh we do we do great 
Yeah, like, and I don't know, you, you know, looking back at your, your your uncle and the great character and the fun he had, and and when I think it was was wasn't it December two thousand and twelve, wasn't it that he passed away? I think wasn't it? Yeah, uh, 13, I think. Uh, was it thirteen? Yeah. roughly around that time, thirteen. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Um, and it was a Saturday morning, and a Saturday morning, he rang me to say. Jesus, did you hear Paddy's at the passing away? And obviously, no more. Everybody was shocked. The whole country was shocked, you know. And he says, Jesus, we better go down, you know. And I says, look at I says to Harry, I says, I tell you, Harry, you know, we better go early because Sunday, Monday, Jesus down there. There's going to, this is going to be like, you know, a procession to go and see the Pope. There's going to be 20,000 people down eventually. You know, they'll come from the four corners of the country. And he says, what you, what will we do? I tell you what I do. You book the flights. This was Saturday morning now at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. You book the flights down to Farron 4, or should I call it Kerry International Airport <laughs> that day. So, and I says, I have a mate of mine, Tony O'Keefe. Tony O'Keefe. I have a mate of mine, Tony O'Keefe, that owns a house, a holiday home in Dingle. So I booked that. So here he booked the flights. I booked the accommodation. So we were out in Dublin Airport at two o'clock uh, and we got, we, we got a flight down, Nair Lingus flight down, Fokker 50 aircraft down to, down to Farron 4 or Kerry International Airport. And, and we were picked up and all by the local county councillor. And we were out, we were out in Ventry as, uh, that evening around seven o'clock. And uh, obviously, we went out and paid our respects um, to Maria and the extended family. And we, we did meet you in Queens. And if you do, if you do remember, we had a ride session. And myself and here, we picked up, myself and here, we picked up the tab that night for everybody. Oh, <laughs> it remember that? I'd say it was a scary tab. <laughs> we went back to us. Yeah, it was a very scary tab, the whole lot. But you, you gotta, you gotta remember, we left a lot, we left a lot of dud notes behind us too. But we said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I it think was we, not a difference. No, no, I wouldn't bother them at all. That's why we dropped loads of them down there the whole lot. But I do remember, I do remember. Yeah, we picked up the tab. We went back to uh, one of the, I think one of the, um, I think it's the commentator or journalist, one of the O'Shea's house around four o'clock oh, yeah, in the Michael morning. O'Shea, yeah, yeah, yeah Michal. Back to his house at about four in the morning and we had beer and whiskey and sandwiches were out the whole lot. <laughs> and I think we got to bed around seven in the morning, you know. And oh, here he wouldn't be a great sleeper, so I was very conscious of him sleeping. So we got up around 10 o'clock in the morning and we walked down to Dingle to get a bit of breakfast, the whole lot, you know. So we went into one of the local hotels. So we sat down to two, two full Irish breakfasts. So myself and here we had the two full. We had the full, full, full Irish breakfast, everything laid on the whole lot. So here he got up to go to the men's room, and I said, "I said to your man, uh, to here, he says, I'll I'll get it, I'll get this the whole lot." So I went up, I lost oh, it there I lost for a while. There, yeah. No, but go so, on. When you went so, in for the two Irish breakfast, go on. Two Irish breakfast. I knew everything was laid on. So here he went, got up to go to the men's room. I says, "I'll pick up this tab, Eamon, the whole lot. You got the big one last night in Queens." So I went up, and your man, sixty-four quid. 64 quid for two hours <laughs> fucking breakfasts. So I says to your man, I says to him, we're down here for Paddy's funeral. And I says, Tara O'Shea is after telling me to come up here. He's going to look after everything, you know. I says, oh, that's no problem. I'll give Dara the bill later. <laughs> so here he came out and says, what's that? Just keep walking out the front door. So will you tell Dara <laughs> I never paid that bill? I owe you a stop. Yeah, so Before we went over. Let you go. Yeah. Before I let you go, Keith, uh, I expected I could keep talking to you all night. I, shall I remember you saying, to me, you saying to me about uh, that you travelled the world and uh, the Aussie rules is a big thing and you won All-Stars and you went on tours, but you must have yeah. had some crack. Like you loved, and you'd be very popular, I would imagine, with all the players all around the country. You went on the Aussie rules and you toured Australia. What was that like? Because it was a longer trip. Two weeks is the normal thing, but that was two, three, yeah, was it three and yeah. a half? Oh, geez, it was three and a half, the best part of a month. I think it was in 1990, and the great late, late Eugene McGee was our manager. 
with the oh, previous yeah. previous president of the GEA, Sean McCabe from Monaghan, and the great Brendan Hackett was our trainer. And it was a great time it was. I remember, geez, I think I, I think the tour was around November of that year, the whole lot. And Eugene McGee got a, 100 players together in May of that year. And he whittled them all the way down to 45, you know. You've done certain criteria, you've met them the whole lot. You were selected for the next stage, the whole lot. So at the end of the day, 45 made the say the outer squad and then the the 30, 30 players he'll select 30 players to travel to australia it was three tests in those days you know so they play- got injured on the plane going out yeah, yeah, so they, yeah. Got, they got tight hamstrings after the plane. So oh, they I, I can tell train you, I, you're going to love this story. <laughs> you're going to love it. So, when he, Eugene McGee tor- uh, selected 30 players to travel, now 10 of those 30 players could play football, the other 10 could fight, and the other 10 could do <laughs> both. All right, so I was in the other 10 that could do both a whole lot. So, so we, tra- we traveled, we traveled Dublin, London, London, I think Bangkok, and I'll out to Melbourne. Out to Melbourne was our first day, and the bold bomber listing was on it. And Jack O'Shea for Kerry, you know, bomber was walking, the, the bomber was walking off the jet that day, and he pulled his hamstring going down the, going down the stairs. <laughs> oh, yeah. He says, Bomber, what's the story? He says, Say fuck all, he says to, to McGee, he says, the GEA owe this, owe this trip to me. I says, I'm going to enjoy myself for the next 28 <laughs> days. Which he never put his football boots on, he didn't. Not once. And he never trained a whole lot. So he became part of Eugene's uh, backroom team and, and done all the stats. But, but he'll enjoy this. Like, as every right. <laughs> As every Dublin man would love to pull the eyes over a Kerry man, I remember. Anyway, we won the first test in Melbourne, you know. Now, normally we're going out for three tests, and we were walking it out. Well, I'm sure the management will walk around, arrive into Australia, into Melbourne. You know, it'll take us a, a couple of days to climatize, probably lose the first test, go up to Sydney, <laughs> train for that, all right? Train for that, win the second test, in Canberra, all right, so be one all and then out to Perth for the last nine to ten days. But that we left a, a long period out in, out in Perth so we could prepare for the you know the the third and final test, which would be the big match, you know, the whole lot. Yeah. What did the bowl paddies do? We won the first test. Oh Jesus, I says, <laughs> right, that's the plans are going bad here, lads. So we, a week later, we went up to Sydney, done our training, flew into Canberra. What happened to Moss? We won the second test. Serious over, all right? Game, <laughs> set, and match. Two weeks into the trip, a financial disaster for the Australian, you know, board, you know, the whole after two matches. Because yeah. they were building up the towards serious. Because, they, like, they were bloody, you know, a good Australian side the whole lot. But we yeah. had a fabulous side the whole lot. Yeah. So we're basically flying. We were flying out to. We were flying out to Perth for a nine-day holiday because technically, now we will fulfil the fixture. We fulfil the fixture, <laughs> but nine-day holidays. Come on, really, on. It was. It, it was. It was brilliant. But anyway, I remember arriving into port into in, into Perth. I won't, won't keep you long. You know, you, you have to go back to yeah. the children, look after them. <laughs> but arrived into Perth, and we, you know, the GA in those days done a fabulous trip. They done a fantastic trip. They did. Yeah. We stayed in the best holidays because, and the journalists were out with us and all, and they were great guys. Loved all the journalists that covered our games in those days. Top class mm. people and top class entertainers. And we arrived into this beautiful five star hotel in, in Perth. You know, and we you can visualize it getting off the coach and uh, the welcoming party, and we're all in our blazers, white shirt, green blazers, grey slacks. It was like a school uniform, you know, 20 years ago. You know yourself, tied a whole lot, and walked in, and we all t- tanked and went in, and we met. So anyway, we're checking. We're being checked in into this five star hotel, being tanked by all the staff. So we went over to the bar and we sat down and. While everybody else, our luggage was being put into our rooms, courtesy of the staff in the hotel, started the drink started to flow the whole lot. So we're drinking away the whole lot. 
nine, ten hours later, still in the hotel foyer, the bar, still at it, drunk. So your woman comes up to me, your woman says, the waitress was checking off for the night, you know. So she says to me, and she knew we were all part of the Irish party because we had uh, our, our uniforms on, for argument's sake, our gear. She says, sorry, sir, says, I'm checking out, uh, off work and I need to settle up the bill here, you know. So that's, that's no problem. She says, now you can play cash, <laughs> credit card, cash, credit card, or you could bill it to your room. And I'm going, you know, you know this bulb thing that comes over your brain, the bulb <laughs> idea. And she says, did you just say room? And I have the finger on my tomb room. And she says, yes. Oh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll bill it to my room. She says, that's fine, sir. She says, and what's your name? Because I know you're with the Irish party, you know. And she says, mm, what's my name? But my finger on my lips and says, I'll tell you what I'll do, ma'am. My name is Own Bomber Liston. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so your woman signed the check and went over and Bill Bomber's Bomber's room. All right. So for the next six days, all right, half the squad and myself, we drank a net um, and we put everything down to Bomber's room. So I knew for the last day, the last day, Tomas, the last day. Now I think there was about easily four to five thousand Australian dollars of a bill. All right. Now Bomber hadn't got Bomber hadn't got a fucking clue that this was being all put on his bill, you know. So, you know, coming in at night, you know, we, we'd have friends in, we'd have lady friends back, and we entertained them the whole lot. So I said, seriously, there's a serious bill here. So I went up, I went up, and we were leaving the following Saturday, and this was Friday night, and I said, Jesus, Keith, what are you going to see? There's both, I say, four to 5,000 Australian dollars on the thing. I went up and packed me bag, packed me bag, got me passport, and got a, got a taxi out to the <laughs> airport. Got to be taxi out to the airport. So I was out in the airport about three or four hours before the squad arrived, you know, myself <laughs> and Paul Curran, the whole lot. And then four hours later, I can see the coach pulling outside the, the departure <laughs> lounge of a Perth International Airport. And who was forced off it? Only the old bomber with the big red <laughs> face looking for me. <laughs> so. <laughs> and I can see him, and I can see the big curly finger come over here. <laughs> so it was my greatest pleasure to stick it into Bomber that that tour. <laughs> he, he he was oh, he was stop. a legend. It was look at do you know what? It, it was all innocent fun, and it was innocent fun, and it was great crack. It was, and oh, yeah. uh, look, at, I have to say, I want to, and I know we're going to be finishing up soon. I want to take take this opportunity to thank yourself, Tomas and Orla, for having me on, having me uh, talk to you tonight, and all my friends that I played with and against, and every part of the country that I travelled to. I'm always welcomed. I've traveled yeah. the 32 counties of this, uh, this, uh, this country and I've always been welcomed and their arms are all, and I loved every bit of it. From Jason Ryan in Waterford, I have great friends, Larkin Green, Larkin Green in, up in Monaghan, Donald Barris in Donegal, you know. So I, I have great friends all, all over Ireland and even down to Tipperary, I have a great friend, Pat Coffey, lives up in Dublin, but originally from Maharlow in County Tipperary. I totally enjoyed myself. And, yeah. I, and I want to thank, you know, my inspiration is my mother. She's 83, Tomas, she is. And she's Brilliant, hard, hard and uh, she walks about 10 kilometers a day, drives, right. runs, jogs the whole lot. As mad as a hatter, wants to win the lotto. That's our only wish. <laughs> so, and, you know, and, and uh, my great wife, Kathleen, and all my children. I, you, know, I, you know, I always try to look forward. I try, try to be positive. And I, had to, I have to say, I, I knocked great crack and fun out of the GEA. You know, it's absolutely... Uh, the, power of the, the power of the GEA is phenomenal, Keith, like, isn't it? Give us it everything, is. like everything. And the friends yeah. and the connections, as you said, it's just brilliant. Like, it's a brilliant organization, yeah. isn't it? It is, and it's the people that make it. It's 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 yeah. the people, it's the players, it's the fun, you know, and 
and and looking back and you know and say yes I played with him and you know I I'm a member of a Dublin team ninety four I don't see the guys you know every week you know you know we all we're all married we have kids we have children we have different things going on with our lives but we respect one another you know and when we meet one another we enjoy one another's company um we had a great time the Dublin County Board you know were fantastic to us over those years genuine we wanted for nothing we didn't get anything you know what I mean mm. we wanted for nothing we never got anything but they were they were good John Coslow Jim King they were they they, they were great the, the great late uh, John Bailey who passed away there last oh, year yeah. you know so we 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 had a we had a ball I had a ball anyway and I never look back. With, I never look back with, with regrets. You know what I mean. And I just want to tell one last story. We were playing with Tommy Carr with Dublin, you know, and we were in the nude on the session, you know. And I came out, and Tommy's car was parked beside me the whole lot. But Tommy's still in the pub, and I want to apologise, Tommy, because it was really me. I jacked up his car <laughs> and took and took his wheel off, you know, because. Tommy was prim and proper. He was an army officer, you know, Tomas. <laughs> so I jacked up his car and took his wheel off, you know, but left the jack underneath. Not only that, being a real thingless, cute whore, I took the spare wheel as well, Elvis boot, <laughs> and stuck it into me. Now, Tommy was driving a lovely Toyota Carina those days, and I robbed the radio out of the car, you know. So Tommy <laughs> lived in Lucan. So he had he had no wheel on the back of his car. He had no spare wheel in the boot, Tomas, and his radio was robbed. So he had to walk back to Luke in about three hours. The following Tuesday, he said to me, here, Keith, oh, Tommy, what's the crack? He says, do you hear what happened to you the other night? I says, what? He says, he says, the bastards broke into me car and stole me radio on me spare wheel. I says, Tommy, the youth of today are shocking, I tell you. I says, those... <laughs> I said, absolutely shocking. Tommy, that was really mean. I want to apologise. <laughs> 30 years later. So, I, still, I still have your radio. <laughs> Keith, anyway. Keith Bye, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely yeah. brilliant chatting to you. We could talk all night. I, I really thank yeah. you for, for, for being on the show, even though you were only number six. But I kept you number six for the special thing on the back of the jersey, by Number six for the one of the best centre-backs of all time. Keep our Gramil Mahagut and thanks for, for being on Coral Etamas. Thanks for listening to Coral Etamas. Don't forget to subscribe and follow for more interviews.